Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom. Episode 72 here on the podcast, and I know we've uh, had a little bit of a break. I'm going to blame it, uh, like most things, on COVID, um, and we'll get into uh, what this year's looked like, but I want to first welcome in the voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman, and also our new uh, analyst, color commentator um, with the uh, Purdue Radio crew, uh, former player, Bobby Riddell Buckets joins us here as well. So, uh, gentlemen, both uh, welcome here to the podcast. Hey, Elliot, thanks for having me. And uh, uh, wouldn't you know it, but I get a chance to be away from Buckets for a couple of days, and of course, you make me be with him again. <laughs> so, thanks a lot. Hey, Elliot, thanks for having me on. And Rob, come on, man, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we got a lot, lot to talk about. As we're taping this, it's our um, a rare uh, downtime uh, during this hectic season so far. It's kind of we're after ten games in the Big Ten schedule. We've got uh, basically a week um, between games, and so I want to get into I want to get your guys' takes and your thoughts on the team, where we're at, the Big Ten race, the league, all that stuff, um, and also I want to get into just uh maybe we can start there um kind of life uh calling games remotely because so our 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 listeners know here um home games you're in the building um and i and you guys were at in the building for the game in bloomington but for most of our road games you guys are calling it remotely and uh talk you know get into that setup like you know you what do you what do you guys see when you're calling a game when we're on the road? Yeah, so it's really been interesting from my perspective, Elliot, because you know obviously broadcasting is my profession; it's what I've been doing my entire adult life. So this is brand new for me, having to do it this way. Um, I'll be interested interested to hear Bob's comments in a minute because with him being brand new to broadcasting, you know he he doesn't know any better, right? So this is maybe isn't as new for him, obviously, but. <laughs> But for me, yeah, I mean, imagine that uh, all of a sudden you're calling the road games off of a, basically what's a, a big screen television monitor, and, uh, you know, you ask what it's like or what we see. It actually comes down, Elliot, to the, the home team, the home venue, and what they're willing to provide you. Mm. Um, so we have really, we've been at each end of the, of the spectrum on this. You know, we've had a couple games where the home team has uh, given us really nothing more than a Zoom feed, um, off of what looks to be someone's cell phone, almost what? like they're just you know setting up in the stands. No kidding. A zoom of the game. Yeah, uh, we've had a couple like that where it's. I mean, it's really difficult just to even see the numbers on the players, so, so you can identify the players. Now we can identify our guys easy enough. We see them all the time. We know what they they look like and their mannerisms, and we we don't really need to see their numbers. But for the opponent, not quite as easy. Wow. Uh, but we've also been you know we've been at the other end of the spectrum. Um, uh, the Ohio State game the other night, for an example, I mean, was it was a high a high def, high quality, almost like a 5K uh, video shoot, uh, broadcast production quality video screen or, or shoot that we were getting a feed, I should say, that we were getting, um, which is as good as you know having watching it uh, on high def uh, down in your down in your basement. Um, it was it was that good. So. Uh, and we, you know, we've run the gamut of uh, when we played at Iowa, they gave us like four different uh, video uh, camera feeds, so we had four different angles. Um, not everyone has been quite that courteous with that many <laughs> different video angles. So, yeah, really, it's. I mean, it's been 
the gamut and you're at the mercy of the home team and, and what they're willing to provide for you. But it certainly has been different, uh, especially, especially from an atmosphere standpoint. And I'll let Bob talk on this next, but imagine this. The, the first two broadcasts that Bob Riddell ever does in his career, you know, he's brand new to broadcasting. The first two he ever does are actually off of a, off of a monitor because we, we started what? our season, obviously, down in Melbourne. Yeah, so that, that's, that's the way he started. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was exactly where I was going to go next because, you know, Bob gets in the hot chair and basically like, hey, come over to the uh, – to the athletic complex here at Purdue and, and call a game when the guys are in Florida off these <laughs> monitors. And so not only, you know, not only is there the pace and the, you know, the cadence back and forth with you and Rob and, um, but you have to do it now off monitors. So first of all, talk about that, Bob, but also talk about then the first time then we come to, to Mackey, which I guess would have been the Oakland game. Um, and now all of a sudden you're calling a game live. Like, talk about the difference between the two and how much how that must have felt great to be able to be in the building with with the team you're calling. Yeah, for sure. I mean, certainly it was uh, more enjoyable to be in the building, and it was definitely a different experience, as Rob mentioned. And also, what you guys you know noted, this was my first year doing it, so I was definitely just going with the flow. And uh, those those first games against. Uh, the first game against Liberty. I mean, I was already nervous um, for my first game and, and what to expect. And then, like, you know, we're going off this live feed that's choppy at times, and I'm really feeling for Rob because I'm obviously playing off him more, and he has to call the action. And so, like, the fetal glitch <laughs> as, like, Travion's driving the basketball, and he's like, I'm looking at him as we're waiting for it to, you know, reboot as he's got to, you know, make the call on whether the basket goes in or not. And so it was definitely, you know, a crazy experience. And I know, like, for me, you know, not being able to do it with the crowds yet, but I know, like, one of the constructive criticisms that I was getting was, and Rob naturally is really energetic, and one of the ones I was getting was got to be, you know, bring a little bit more energy and try to match Rob to some degree. And I feel like with fans, I would have, you know, it would be easier to, to try to do that. Cause yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. Feed off of that. Right. And they would give you some more vibe. And that's where it has been a little bit easier, at least when, when we're doing the games live. Because, as you know, the benches for both teams this year have tried to get a little bit more rowdy um, than maybe even in years past to try to give each of their teams some energy. And so it's it's nice to be able to feed off of that. And I will say one thing that's really nice about when you're actually in the building is you can watch the benches and get a lot of like, even like guys like you or – some of the assistant coaches or some of the bench guys, like you can feed off of their mannerisms or even sometimes you can even hear, you know, what coach Painter's yelling or saying, and then you can kind of relay that to the broadcast. And so that part is nice, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to like the first game in Mackey, like Friday night game against Michigan on yeah. a normal year, of right. course, would have been like off the chain. And uh, I can just imagine what sort of butterflies I'll have for that first kind of big game with the crowd. Well, and also, too, getting you guys back down courtside. You know, right now you're halfway up the arena in the upper media level, and, um, you know, it's different. I mean, when you're down low like that, to see that action right on top of you, yeah, I think that does give you some energy to see guys making plays and they're, you know, potentially 15, 20 feet away from you. Um, and I think that would that would be a challenge to keep your, your energy level up. So let me ask you, that, Rob, Bob referenced that, 
there's times you might have a glitch or anything like that. Is there a moment that sticks out that like, man, you really got stuck and you were just at the mercy of the feed? Like, like what do you do in that situation? Yeah, so it has happened, oh, I don't know, two, three, four times. Not a lot, but, but as Bob referenced, it has happened. Where, and it, you know, it's not like, you know, you wish it could happen when maybe someone's just walking the ball up the floor right. in a half-court <laughs> offense, right? It doesn't right. matter. But, but, of course, it's right when they're driving to the basket or shooting a three. <laughs> one thing that's – another thing that we've really – I found interesting, uh, and, and it's helped a little bit. Sometimes it's hindered, but more often than not it's helped. I also have the live stats monitor up on my laptop as we're calling the game off the uh, off the big screen. And you, the, those live stats are pretty good about staying in real time. Yeah. So when there is a glitch, you know, I can quickly look at the live stats, and, and I can see if the basket was made, obviously because the score changed. Or I can see if the score stayed the same, I can assume – during the glitch, the shot was missed. So I, just, I, kind of, I, I looked at the stat monitor, and I'm like, well. Uh, and it's funny, when we did the Iowa game um, in Iowa City, actually that night, for whatever reason, the stat monitor was ahead of our video, video feed by, I don't know, five or seven seconds. So it, it was like I could see uh, I could see the future. It's like I had a crystal ball, right? I, I knew whether or not, say, Luca Garza, when he shot a three, whether or not it's about to go in or if Travion Williams had made or missed the free throw. I knew it from the stat monitor before it even actually happened on on what we were calling off the video monitor. So, uh, yeah, that's made it a little interesting too. That's only happened that one game that Iowa game, but yes, that was uh, that that was a bit unique. Let me just put it that way. You could have avoided all the free throw announcer jinxes. When you knew he was going to make it, you could uh, say this guy's a seventy four percent shooter, (laughs) made four of four. He's due to miss one here. Yeah. And the truth be told, I was trying to be a little clever that night, so a couple times when I knew what was coming, I would say something like, let's see if the Boilermakers look for Stefanovic here on the ah. trip down the <laughs> Oh, that <laughs> is... And of course, Sasha would shoot. But yeah, the, the cat's out of the bag. I actually knew what was coming before it actually happened. Man, I, you, that is hilarious. Wow. Yeah, that would be... A, that. I think that might screw me up. I think I might try to get too clever, and that would just botch the whole thing, but... Yeah, well, I try that, not to watch it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you want to be able to react in real time instead of kind of doing a scripted um, reaction. So, so let's talk about. I, I know, um, you know, it's it, we've talked about the difference between, and you guys have seen this team obviously in the home games. You did get to see the win in Bloomington. Um, you know, we're ten games in uh, as we tape this right now. Uh, the Boilermakers sit at six and four. In the league, I believe that's uh, I believe that's fifth place, um, and the league, in my opinion, is is every bit as good as advertised, top to bottom. Um, probably the most uh, competitive league since I've been around and doing this for 20 years. Um, what are your guys' thoughts? First of all, just on the league in general, and then kind of where we stand after 10 games. Well, I tell you, um, 10 games in, here we are at the halfway point. Uh, had you told me back in, you know, September with this young team that we'd be six and four at the at the halfway marker, I'd say I'm all in for that. Yeah, I'll take right. that any day of the week. Right. And especially at the you know the look of the schedule and and what Purdue has had to play to this point, not only teams played but games that had to be played on the road. And I would say this, I as I was thinking about this, kind of prepping a little bit for this interview this morning, Elliot and Bob. 
if, and, and it's a big if, but if Purdue were to beat Minnesota this Saturday, uh, that would mean Purdue played the whole month of January only losing two games, mm. uh, which is a pretty that's a pretty remarkable feat in the Big Ten this year mm-hmm. for a team that doesn't have a single senior and is the youngest team in the Big Ten to play the whole month of January losing only two games. Uh, the one of those, of course, being at Illinois. Uh, who's been basically a top 20 team all season long, and then the other one, Michigan, uh, who's obviously ranked fourth in the country right now. So mm-hmm. uh, that, to me, is uh, is a pretty amazing stat. The other thing I throw in before I let Bob comment on this is the fact that, that our ball club has found ways to win, especially here in this, this last little four or five game stretch, has found ways to win when, quite frankly, they haven't played very well. Um, now, there have been spurts. Um, but we certainly haven't shot it well. I mean, outside of Indiana, right. 11 to 17 from three, have not shot the ball well. Uh, and as Coach Painter has said many a times during these last couple of weeks, there have been numerous breakdowns on the defensive end. Um, so at both ends, right, Purdue has not played at a high level, but they still keep finding ways to win, which is so typical of veteran ball clubs, right? As right. You guys know, not, that's not typical of young teams uh, to find ways to win when you're not playing at a high level. So... Uh, I don't know about you, Bob, but to me, that's been the most encouraging part about all of this. Purdue has really yet to play a complete game, you know, start to finish. Yet, here they are, again, as I mentioned, in a position to play out the whole month of January and only lose two two games for the entire month. Yeah, that's a really good point there, Rob. I saw saw a stat uh, the other day where I think in Big Ten play, Purdue right now is shooting, I think, second worst in the league from three uh, at like 30%. And and for us to be six and four, um, which not shooting a very good percentage from three, and I think this is a, a team that's a pretty good three-point shooting team in general from a skill set standpoint, and for that to be one of our focal points of our offense, I think that's, like you hinted at, I mean, it's just really impressive that they've been able to find ways to win in other ways. Um, particularly, I feel like their defense has certainly improved since the, the starting part of the season, and Obviously, the ascent of Travion Williams has, has really helped as far as giving Purdue an option down low on the block uh, to score often. But, you know, looking at the Big Ten standings, kind of what Elliot was talking about with how deep the Big Ten is, I think I would agree with him that as for as long as I've been following the Big Ten, this feels like the deepest it's been from top to bottom. I don't know about, you know, if it's the best it's been at the top per se, but you only have Nebraska is the only winless team in the Big Ten. And, you know, usually, you know, we haven't had a chance to play them yet, but, the, you know, usually it feels like there's two or three teams maybe at the bottom where it's pretty much if you're one of the better teams in the league, you're going to get a for sure W against them. But right now, I think there's really only one team that's that way, which is kind of crazy to think that the other 13 teams are all extremely competitive with each other. So it's, you know, it's I, did, I think the future is, you know, really bright for this team. And I think they've made strides each month as the season goes along. And when you consider Eric Hunter and Jaden Ivey, two guys who are really important to this team in the backcourt, and they both missed a substantial amount of time earlier in the season. It was really nice to see how this team was, was finally coming together. Some of the rotations guys kind of starting to settle into their roles and Elliot and Rob, you as well. I mean, you guys know how important it is for, you know, guys on the team to settle into a role and, and kind of understand you know, how long I'm going to be playing each game and what's my job when I come in. And um, I felt like that Carson Edwards-led team a couple of years ago it was really good as far as guys knowing their roles. And I think this team was starting to settle into that to some degree. But then, of course, Sasha 
unfortunately has the the absence now, which um, is going to be something that this team has to, to deal with from an adversity standpoint moving forward. Yeah, you talked about the um, guys missing some time and, and uh, Eric and Jaden early on and then now with Sasha. And I was talking to uh, Mike Bobinski the other day, and, and he is now on the selection committee because Jim Phillips, the AD at Northwestern, became the ACC's commissioner. And so as he moved to that job, the Big Ten – or the a, 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 um, seat opened up on the selection committee. And Mike's been on that committee before. He's chaired that committee. And he got the call from the bullpen, so to speak, kind of last minute. And I think they wanted, wanted somebody to step in there who's had a little bit of experience. And uh, I was talking to him about this. And I said, you know, normally when you're – when you're evaluating teams for the tournament, you're obviously going to try to dissect as much as possible. But this year, perhaps more than any other year, you're going to have to d- dig a little bit deeper in terms of looking at injuries, COVID-related issues, and not just injuries due to COVID. I mean, you always have overall injury issues, and those would be, you know, the Eric Hunters and Jay Nivey's missing time at the beginning of the year. So, for example, if those two guys play, do we beat a Clemson team that – has been ranked for the past three or four weeks. Um, you know, do you do you get a win um, earlier in the schedule that maybe you know? Do you compete a little bit more um, at Iowa? You know, who knows? Um, but also, the COVID, the way it's affecting how teams play. And I'll give you an example. Our game at Ohio State was not originally scheduled for January nineteenth. Um, we got a call from the Big Ten that basically said, "Hey, what do you think about squeezing that Ohio State game in and moving it up?" a week earlier and the normal uh, progression of that week would have gone we would have had Penn State here on a Sunday and we wouldn't have played until Friday against Michigan well now they schedule a game in there on a Tuesday night which means we get a one-day turnaround one-day prep for Ohio State we get we have to travel on that day and then we turn around and play Michigan uh, our third game in six days and I'm not saying that that's the reason we lost to Michigan. Michigan's a really good team. And as you said, Bob, fourth in the country for a reason. They're really good. Um, But that's one of those things where as teams schedule games, move games around, miss games, um, you know, that committee is going to have to look at all that. And I don't envy their job at all uh, because as they start evaluating things, they're going to have they're going to have their hands full in terms of uh, looking at team schedules and figuring out, you know, if a team had to play like look at Penn State who missed basically a couple weeks, they turned around and played like four games over an eight-day stretch with all one-day preps. Um, so they got their hands full kind of looking at what go, what all goes into some of these wins and losses for these teams. And I would add this, Elliot, uh, when we're looking ahead to the month of March here, think about the discrepancy in the non-conference scheduling, which I know you're a huge part of from a Purdue standpoint. You know, Purdue, as you guys well know, elected to play the seven non-conference games, which is basically the limit you were allowed with 20 with 20 conference games. There are plenty of teams around the country that chose to play three or four non-conference games, even though they have the ability to schedule more than that. Right. Um, I look at like Michigan, for, and again, I'm not going to certainly discredit Michigan. They are fourth in the country, and they're pretty they're awfully good, as we just found out. But you know, they played, what, I think four non-conference games, all four at home. Yeah, right? they did not so, play an exempt event. They chose not to play in an exempt event. Yeah, so you're talking about a real discrepancy there in non-conference scheduling, too. So I do find that I firmly believe um, that Purdue made the right decision there, play that full slate of non-conference games available to you, 
and get a couple of quality games in there. Obviously, Clemson, we found out Liberty's pretty good, and, and Notre Dame, I mean, to me, that's much more beneficial at the end of the season when all of a sudden that NCAA tournament selection committee starts looking at that kind of stuff than if said we would have been saying maybe we would just play three or four, you know, home games against mid-major competition. I'm, I'm certainly, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, and I think I'm being pretty realistic in saying this, that that's, that's going to certainly weigh on the favor of Purdue when it comes to March. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also think as you look at, um, as you look at where we sit now, as of Friday night's game against Michigan, which was on January 22nd, we had, we had at the conclusion of that game, we had played as more than or as many games as anyone in the Big Ten at 10. And nationally, that was our 17th game. That was as much as anybody in the country. I think there were a handful of teams, maybe five other, four or five other teams that had played 17 games up to that point. Wow. So, knock on wood, we've we've been very fortunate that we've avoided shutdowns. And, and you know, we also lost a game in there too. I mean, we, you know, we lost that Nebraska game. Um, but we, I guess my point is that we've been fortunate to get those games in, um, but also. Um, by playing all those games, you know, the break we're on now is coming at a good time, in my opinion. I think this team, um, they need a little bit of a – they need some uh, some days here to kind of catch their breath a little bit. And um, that's one of the, the things we talked about pre, you know, prior to the start of the season was preparing our guys to expect – as coach, uh, to use a Coach Katie quote, to um, expect the unexpected. You know, there's going to be games that were just out of the blue gets canceled – and as we found, and I didn't know this would be the case, but as we found out by going to Ohio State, like, hey, uh, next week's schedule's changed, guys. We're going to Columbus on Tuesday. And you kind of get these looks like, really? And uh, it's just, it, it it all is one of those things. Every time stuff like that happens, we just look at each other on the staff. We're like, yep, 2020, man. That's what that's what this year is. So. Well, and, I, and Elliot, I'd like to, I, I would like to know the answer to this. I'm sure the listeners would as well. Um were you, and when I say you, you being the, the coaches, the coaching staff, was everyone put on alert when the season started from the Big Ten that, hey, uh, just so you know, we might be calling you on a, you know, on a Tuesday and saying, yeah, you need to go to Ohio State on a Friday or Nebraska on a Friday. Or was everyone in the league aware that that was going to be the situation this year? That, um, again, as you said, expect the unexpected because your schedule could change at a moment's notice and. And whether you like it or not, this is this is how it's going to have to happen. Yeah, I don't know if it was if it was communicated that specifically, but we all knew that like, hey, we're going to need to be flexible and nimble here. Um, and I think I think mostly we thought about situations where, okay, we lose a game on Saturday, and they're going to maybe give you another game on Saturday. Um, I never really thought about they're going to come back and plug something in, you know. I thought they would plug it in on a on a vacated date, so to speak, and not necessarily plug it in on a new date. So that was a little bit probably outside of my thinking. But, um, you know, from the league standpoint, they're looking at, obviously, Nebraska and Penn State have had long shutdowns. Michigan State's had a shutdown. You know, they look at all those lost games and this, and they, to their credit, um, one of the reasons we scheduled games around Christmas was because we wanted to have some openings in January, February. And we try to get as many games as we could during the time when campuses were vacated from with, with the general student population. And from Purdue's standpoint, that worked great. We got a lot of games in. And now we do have some holes in our schedule. You know, we have a, a long break now. We also have a break 
uh, a six, seven day break um, towards the end of February where some games can be slotted in. And, and most teams have those kind of windows, those kind of quote unquote bye weeks where they have some flexibility to get some games plugged in. Now, I don't think that the league foresaw teams missing two weeks, um, which has created some challenges. But everything that, uh, you know, when we talked to Penn State, you know, we were their first game back. And they basically were like, hey, look, you know, the league's told us we're going to have to play a bunch of games in a short amount of time, and we're fine with that. Like, we understand that that's, that's what we need to do to kind of get caught back up. And, um, you know, I, have, I, I think I've been really impressed with the teams that have been affected and, and their willingness to kind of jump back in and play a bunch of games in a short amount of time. So, you know, that, that's where the other teams in the league are called upon to maybe alter their schedule a little bit. I think everybody's happy to do it because we're all – you know, we all kind of see ourselves. If we were in that position, you know, we'd want the help too to try to get the games made up. But it's an unenviable task for the league to try to figure out this big puzzle piece. And um, you know, you also, I think one of the big things that maybe our fans might look at our schedule and say, "How do you not have game times for some of these games?" It's all uh, it's all tied into TV, obviously. And I think the one change from past years has been how TV's trying to make all these games fit. And not only do you, you know, in the Big Ten Network's case, you're only dealing with Big Ten games, but when you start talking about CBS and you start talking about ESPN and FS1 and Fox, you know, they're trying to make it work in conjunction with other conferences. And so if you have a a cancellation in the Big East, that could affect a Big Ten game in the Fox deal or the FS1 deal. And if you have an SEC game that cancels on a Saturday or Sunday, that could affect a CBS game, you know, for men's basketball in the Big Ten. So there's a lot of things that go into this, um, and those guys that are dealing with it have have really had no days off since this all started. They're just uh, continuing to look at uh, games and plugging things. And now with Michigan going on a two-week shutdown, it creates another monster, um, and it just happens to be the league leader too. So. I don't know at the end of the day if everybody's going to get all 20 games in. I hope they do, but uh, I'm not sure they will. So what do you think happens if they're not – if like one team's able to get 20 and one team gets 17 or something? Well, if you're the if if you're the second place team and Michigan's your leader, you're not very <laughs> – you're not very happy. Um, that's going to be an interesting dilemma, you know, and, and there's discussion now about the Big Ten tournament. Um you know, it's, I'm not breaking any news here. There was an article last week uh, Mike Carmen had in the Journal and Courier about the fact that uh, it, it's increasingly – it's looking increasingly difficult to have a Big Ten tournament in the city of Chicago. Um, their restrictions in Cook County are a little bit higher than other places. There's some, there's some hotel issues there in terms of hotels just not being open. And, um, you know, I think that the, the hope is to play a Big Ten tournament, but, you know – can they get creative and maybe if somebody's missing a game, can you maybe get down to Indy early and maybe play a game on a Monday or Tuesday before the Big Ten tournament starts on Wednesday, Thursday? You know, that might be something to think about. I know, I do know that there's going to be some flexibility as we go, come down the stretch here to if a team, let's like, for instance, we still have to play Nebraska twice. We still have to play Minnesota twice. Is there a chance where we could play Nebraska twice over a three-day stretch and and if they're thinking outside the box maybe those games necessarily don't have to happen in Lafayette or Lincoln Mm. you know maybe it's it's something where 
and I'm just I'm just throwing stuff out there. I, this is not insider trading at all. But right. you know, if Nebraska has to come over and play in Champaign, instead of us going to Lincoln, do we maybe drive over to Champaign and play Nebraska in assembly in the assembly hall in Champaign? Pretty like a neutral side. And, yeah, and situation. and maybe it's technically a Nebraska home game, or maybe it's you know maybe we play two games in Champaign, and, and that's both our games. I don't know. Um, but those are some of the outside-the-box thinking that is going to need to occur if everybody's going to try to get to 20 games. It's going to be really tough to pull off, I think. Um, but I think that the teams have a certainly have an appetite to do that. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, one thing I wanted to get your guys' take on, you talked about, Rob, you referenced the expectations of this team. And if you would have said, hey, you're going to be sitting at 6-4, and four, at the halfway point, if you would have brought that up, like on the end of November, I think I think most Purdue fans would be thrilled. And it's it's funny how teams' expectations change during a season. So, like all of a sudden, you get a win at Michigan State, and now the expectation is, oh well, you know, you you were getting ready to go down to Bloomington the next game, and maybe before that, you would have said, boy, that's going to be a really hard game. And then the all of a sudden, the expectation changes to, well, we better win that game. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys felt that have you felt a shift in kind of your expectations of this team as it's gone along well to your specific point leading up to the michigan game and uh i would give credit to the person who tweeted this but unfortunately i don't remember specifically but someone i saw had tweeted i think maybe the afternoon of the michigan game uh if purdue beats michigan tonight Boilermakers in the driver's seat to win the big 10 regular season if you look at the back end of their schedule I was thinking, whoa, we might want to slow the horses here just a little bit. So, I think that, I think that was our buddy uh, Dan Dockage. Yeah, okay, they... is that it? Was yeah, that's that sounds right. That sounds right. I'm thinking, holy cow, we went from uh, you know youngest team in the Big Ten, hoping to maybe finish somewhere in the middle of the pack, to uh, now we're the Big Ten favorite going down the stretch if we beat Michigan. So yes, to your specific point, Elliot, I, <laughs> it is fair to say that expectations with this team have changed just a little bit. Yeah, I, I've, I've got that sense a little bit, too. I've had a – it's funny, after, um, just talking to the staff from time to time, too, you know, we, we might be disappointed. It might be a, a halftime conversation or a postgame conversation, or maybe we walk off the practice floor one day and we're not happy with whatever happened, whether it's a play or a, a half or a, a game. And I find myself having to remind not only myself but others around me, like, Hey, let's let's take a you know few steps back here and look at this from a you know couple thousand feet angle. It's uh, you know we're still doing pretty good things for a young team, and and we still are young. You know, it's not like those um, youth mistakes are going to just evaporate uh, because you win a couple games. You know, they're still going to rear their ugly head, and you're going to you know in the next ten games we're we're still going to see some of those. We're going to have games where we we make some boneheaded youthful plays. Um, and that's just going to happen. And I think sometimes um, it's easy to get caught up in the fact that you say, well, you forget about we're the youngest team in the league because now we've become the fifth place team in the league or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's and I, yeah, yeah. It's, that's an interesting perspective. And I tell you, I'd love to hear uh, Bob's perspective on this as a guy who was part of the team where, you know, that youth movement happened, right? I mean, right, right. Bob was, he was with the baby boilers. He was part of that group as a, as an upperclassman, do you do you see some similarities, Bob? And, and what was that like with the, when knowing that you're you really you're handing over the reins to uh, to the to the young bucks, if you will? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny that how that all you know unfolded. Um, I remember the season before the baby boilers arrived. Kind of a funny story was we were having an Elliot. You may remember this, but it was a practice, and um, we were our team at that time was going through a stretch where we were struggling in practice, taking bad shots, not hustling, et cetera. And Coach Painter was basically like, "All you guys who are returning next year, if you don't step it up." None of you guys are going to play next season because we got some studs walking down that tunnel. And um, obviously, as the way it unfolded, none of us did play. And, uh, well, not none of us, not all of us, of course. But all, those baby boilers came right in and, and took leading roles, uh, certainly Robbie and, and Etuan in particular. Um, but and then as we moved into the summer, when those guys got on campus, and as a team, you play a lot of open gym, pick up basketball in the summer. And it was just clear, you know, from day one, how talented all those guys were and how big of an impact they were going to be. You know, I remember Robbie and Etuan, I think a lot of times um, like Kramer and Keaton Grant would be the captains picking the, the teams for pickup and, and Robbie and Etuan would be the first picks, you know, on the opposing team each time. And, you know, it was clear immediately how good those guys were and how much of an impact they were going to make. And, and so it was definitely one of those where, you know, we didn't have any, um, you know, we only had one senior, Terrence Crump, on that team. So it wasn't like we had a, you know, a bunch of seniors mixed with freshmen and so similar to this situation this year where there, you know, there's no seniors on this year's team. And and so it was kind of an easy um, transition to just let those guys uh, take the reins. And, and Keaton and Kramer were sophomores, so they were young as well. And um, it was definitely an interesting dynamic, but from like a – passing of the torch standpoint you know basically david teague and carl landry were, were the guys on that previous team and so there wasn't really a situation where we had anybody that was coming back that was a leading, you know, leading role type of guy so it kind of was a pretty smooth transition for that team well and i think when people look back at that team you know everybody remembers the great you know the highs um but this came up the other day i was talking to uh uh, Grady Eifert and PJ Thompson, our GAs about this. And I said, and, and Bob, your name came up because I said, you know, we had a, it wasn't all fun that year. I said, we had a really <laughs> rough, uh, tournament preseason <laughs> tournament where Wofford, Wofford uh, comes into Mackey and beats us. And we got to fly to Las Vegas and it was a absolutely miserable day of travel out there. And then we get our practice canceled that night because the, gym caved in that we were going to this high school gym had a storm hit it and the roof caved in and we couldn't practice which just put coach in a really great mood and then the next day just get our doors blown off against iowa state and then and we just weren't in a good place we were not in a good spot and then ended up playing missouri state in the consolation game and bob you were a major part of that win came i'll never forget you came in and got a, a loose ball tie up at half court dove laid out for a ball and i mean we ended up winning that game by one and you would have thought we we won that we were going to the final four we celebrated like you couldn't believe and something just oh, something man. just flipped something just turned in that team we ended up you know we went one and one to start the league and then i think we rolled off seven or eight wins in a row uh and, the, and then you look back and you say man what a great year and it was a great year but there were growing pains in that year you know there were some youthful mistakes and you know, certainly you lose at home to Wofford, and um, we had our shares of, of bruises in that year as well. 
Uh, Elliot, I have to I, I have to interrupt here only because I'm laughing internally as you're telling this story. <laughs> uh, Bob Riddell has also told me this same story that you're relating here. <laughs> Uh, however, uh, he tells it much differently as far as the practice being canceled. Uh, has, has Bob will back me up on this? He and the rest of the players may have been the happiest they've been all season. Well, no that question. Got canceled. Uh, <laughs> happiest we've ever been. I mean, we scared to death. Yeah, we, we lose to Wofford at home, and like at that point, you know, Coach Payne back then, and we always, you know, me and Robbie and some of the guys I play with will joke around with some of the guys like Dakota and some of the guys who recently graduated and say like. Man, Coach Painter was a lot harder, like, on us, and he screamed and yelled a lot more, you know, and, and he's nicer now and, and, and joke around and things of that nature. But, yeah, back then when we lost to Wofford at home, Coach Painter was none too pleased, obviously. And uh, so, yeah, we're on that flight out there, and uh, one of our managers who we were close with, a guy named Alex Forst, showed us the practice plan on the plane, and it was like, you know, three hours of miserable defensive drills, taking charge drills, all those sorts of <laughs> drills that you despise as a player, of course. And we're just like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be, you know, brutal practice. And then all of a sudden, as Elliot referenced, the weather was bad, and there was like a windstorm that knocked the power out at the high school yeah. that we were supposed to practice at. And so we got a reprieve of all reprieves that day. But I just remember we all met – we stayed in a casino, which – you know, on shocker, it's Vegas. I mean, we stayed in this hotel casino and we got down to the lobby to go catch the bus. And so we're standing there. It's just a, it was a weird scene because everybody's standing around. There's like the sound of a casino lobby. Okay. So slot machines going around everywhere. Um, you know, the constant lights and, and noise and we're all kind of there and coach comes down and gets the news and he goes, okay, well, if we're not going to that high school, then where are we going instead? And basically, the answer he got back from Kent Williams was like, well, there is nowhere else. We're not going to be able to practice tonight. And he kind of stared. And everybody, and you guys, I could just sense that you guys were like, come on, baby. Come on, baby. Get us out of this. <laughs> Call and, it off. And sure enough, he goes, all right. Everybody go get we'll, – we'll grab our dinner and we'll go back to our rooms and we'll pick it up in the morning. And I mean – Woo, he you would think not... we would have responded and played well against Iowa State, but no, we didn't. Well, they did have two lottery picks on their team that nobody. Yeah, knows. they did. So that was bad matchup for the old Boilers. But uh, yeah, I mean, I the similarities and just the, you know, sometimes youth rears its ugly head, and uh, and we've seen it at times this year. You know, people look back at the Michigan State game and think, man, what a great game. The first half was not great. <laughs> no. That was not a great game. I mean, I don't. I think at that, you know, the one thing that this team has probably um, surprised me with is its ability to come back from big deficits. So I want to ask you guys, as you're calling the Michigan State game where we're down, whatever it was, 15 at the half, uh, we're down at Ohio State. Um, and even in the Rutgers-Illinois games, we were down big and, and, and took leads in the second half and took leads, you know, midway through the second half. Um, have you guys been... What, what, what were your thoughts on some of those games when we got down big? Because we've seen, as last year, I think when those teams got down last year in those games, it was probably, you know, lights out. So, Yeah, and you think, well, think about this. That Illinois game, you know, we go on a 19-0 run. You're right, <laughs> I right. Mean, that was, that's what was crazy to me. We, end, we got the big three from Wheeler to end the half. I think it was Aaron. And then we come right out and, uh, and rip off 19 in a row, bridging the two halves to take the lead. 
Um, so that's the one. That's just one specific area that makes that game unique. But you you ask uh, you ask the very first question about a Michigan State game at halftime. Uh, we go to commercial break, and Bob and I are just looking at each other like, "Oh my God, are we going <laughs> to score thirty points?" And I and I was actually in the back of my mind, all I could think about was the Illinois game last year yeah. in Champaign, yes. where we only scored yes. thirty five or whatever it was. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're about to have another 30-point game. I, I I can't believe this is happening two years in a row. But then, of course, we, you know, threw the ball to Travion every single time down the floor, and when <laughs> you know it worked out just fine. And and yeah, you, you talked about how poorly Purdue was played night, especially first half. I think we were three of 24, weren't we? From three, I mean, it's something just terrible from right. the three-point line in right. that game. So, um, so yeah, I we've we've had some pretty miraculous runs. I. I think the stat is, and I'd have to double check this, but I do believe, I do believe our team has won four games this year, in which they've trailed by 11 points or more. So that has been a big. You referenced this earlier. Big difference from last year's team. You know, this year's team, while they find themselves in double-digit deficits, they have found a way to claw back and, and obviously either win the game or put themselves in a position to win the game. So, then uh, yes, that's been enjoyable to see. Yeah, yeah, and you wonder if some of that is like kind of a product of youth, like like we've referenced a lot in this podcast, as far as like when things are going really well, like man, we're playing great, we're making comebacks, and we're really high as a team. Whereas when things aren't going so well, you know, we're looking at each other, we're putting our heads down, and we're not um, executing and doing things that you have to do. So maybe that is partly why you know, the team has some of these big swings from an ups and downs standpoint. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. I think there's a lot to be said for that. The energy of, you know, these of this team. I think I think the one thing is having the depth that this team has versus last year has been a huge mm-hmm. plus because if somebody's if it's not somebody's night, you've got somebody else to go to. You know, how many times this year have you know, maybe it's not Brandon Newman's night and he doesn't see the floor very much in a second half and right. You know, it could be uh, Aaron Wheeler for Mason Gillis. It could be uh, Jay Nivey for Brandon. It could be, um, you know, Sasha for Brandon, whoever it might be. Um, you know, there was a stretch at the beginning of the year where Zach was coming in and, and being really productive. And, and we, you know, Travion was sitting. Um, so, yeah, I think the depth is really um, helped. And I think it's made practices very competitive. Uh, these guys go at each other. Um, we've got the depth to be able to practice at a high level. Um, so all that has been, I think, a, a, that's so a, underrated too. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a welcome sign. I mean, if a guy has a bad game, there's a very slim chance he's going to have a bad practice the next day because he knows, like, if I keep doing this, I'm losing more minutes. <laughs> so, I'm taking that black jersey and putting on the gold. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a huge yeah. motivating factor. So it's been really good from um, from our standpoint to have really high level competitive practices um, in between games. And uh, and yeah, I think there's a little bit of kind of uh, uh, ignorance of youth, so to speak. Like, they don't know any better. We're down 11. They're like, well, that's no big deal. I mean, we can do this. I think there's some of that, you know, before. Whereas, you know, if you've been through it a bunch, you're like, well, we've seen how this plays out. This isn't going to end well. <laughs> These guys are like, sure. we haven't seen this play out. We're good. And uh, and that's been, been good to see as well. So as you guys look at the league, um, halfway point, um, you, you know, do you feel like it's Michigan's league to lose and, and – you know, how do you? What are your thoughts on maybe some of the other teams? 
Yeah, not obviously we haven't seen everyone with our own two eyes yet as far as playing against Purdue, Elliot. But I would say of the teams I have seen up close and personal, uh, Michigan is far and away uh, the team to beat. Uh, just because the way they can do it on both ends of the floor and the way they can really, you know, as we saw in our game, they can play some pretty unique lineups and still have success. You know, their two big guys got in foul trouble uh, in that game and uh, in Dickinson and Davis, and, and so they played small and, and they did just fine. I mean, they played with a six seven post player and, and didn't miss a beat. So they can beat you a lot of different ways on the offensive end, plus they guard so well. I mean, they guard hard and they – they understand what they're doing defensively. That, to me, I would say is the one flaw of Iowa that I have seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly defensively, they do have some lapses where they do allow the opponent to go on some runs, as we saw in Indiana beat them last week at their place. Indiana right. went on a second-half run, and, and Iowa wasn't able to get them stopped. So, but that's why I think Michigan's the cream of the crop. I do still like Wisconsin, although for a team that has as many – 20-year-olds as they do. They're, they just seem to be so inconsistent. I, yeah, can't, yeah. I can't put my finger on it. I don't, I don't know why it is. You would think that would not be a concern for them, but they certainly have some inconsistent stretches. But yes, to answer your direct question, I, I think Michigan's the team to beat in our league without question. Bob, what are some other teams that you've seen and like? And Sure. I, I certainly uh, definitely agree with Rob that to me Michigan is the cream of the crop and and Rob hit on it, you know, from an offensive and defensive standpoint, I think they're the most well-rounded team and, and most versatile team. Another team that I think if they can get fully healthy and get their whole roster together, actually playing at the same time could, could sneak up on some people. And I mean, they're already ranked in the top 15. So I don't know if you really sneak up on people, but Ohio state, a team that we've been fortunate for Purdue to, to beat twice. And we kind of caught them from a scheduling standpoint at some opportune times, as far as them not having their entire roster healthy but you know now that ej liddell's back and then now they've just got cj walker back they were able to go into wisconsin and get a really impressive win uh, i think cj walker although i don't necessarily think he's a game breaker or a transcendent player he certainly stabilizes their backcourt and i think helps them limit their turnovers takes care of the basketball for them and i think if they um get their full complement of players and get some games under their belt together they could be a team that late in the big 10 season really impresses people and then I feel still like Illinois still feel like they might be the most you know talented team as far as just true high level talent with you know AO and Kofi in particular Um, and they got a lot of shooters that they can spread around them and so I think they certainly could could be a team that goes on a a late run too but I'm with Rob that Iowa their their defensive deficiencies I think is something that's going to potentially hold them back um as far as trying to compete for the title well it's funny as you as you look at at the league and some of the games i had someone yesterday said something to me they said and they're they were an indiana fan and they said you know just as i saw thought okay we're at the midway point i think i can kind of start figuring this league out he goes my team goes to iowa and gets an unbelievable win and they turn around and get beat at home by a rutgers team that had lost five in a row and that that seems to be par for the course in this league like the surprises uh seem never ending i mean i i look at some of the just weird stats in this league i mean maryland has won three road games (laughs) and not only three road games but impressive road games at minnesota at illinois um at wisconsin 
So That's three of the person. upper level teams, and yet they haven't won a home game. And I look at like Minnesota has not won a road game. And, you know, the most road wins in our league is three right now. And we're part of that group. But Purdue, Maryland, Ohio State, Iowa, and Michigan each have three road wins. Um, there's just weird – there's just a bunch of weird things like that. You know, teams losing to teams that you just never thought that would happen. Um, and I, I think it's fun that way. I mean, I, to me, like, I love turning on games on nights that Purdue's not playing and knowing that, like, okay, there's going to be some implication for this game. And then you really have no idea, you know, who's going to win it. I would add this. Think about Northwestern. They start the Big yeah. Ten schedule yeah. 3-0. and They're the talk of the league, and they haven't won a game since. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, get, they get ranked. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they yeah. get ranked, and everybody, you know, they're like, wow, nobody saw this coming. And then they've kind of hit a little bit of a skid. And I think that's that may be, you know, as important as anything is, you know, when you do – fall on some harder times like how do you get out of them because as some teams have showed you can get stuck in those ruts for a while um and then you know you throw the whole other layer of how is michigan state going to be when they get back to playing this week um what are they going to look like you know we haven't seen them i'm really anxious to see them play just because we haven't seen them play for a while um you know there's been some teams that we just haven't seen here for a few days uh, that are going to get back at it and what are they going to what state of mind are those players going to be in and how are those teams going to perform? Um, I just think it's it's going to be fascinating here as we go down the stretch. And if you look at another, I think, factor in terms of who's going to win this league is, you know, the schedules are unbalanced. This is the way it is. Um, we've talked about, you know, we, we had six of our first 10 on the road. Um, and so obviously having six games here in Mackey coming down the stretch – I'm not sure if that's good or bad, to be honest, with no fans being around. Like, I, obviously, when Mackey's packed, you'd be like, oh, this is great. Um, but there's been games when I felt more comfortable on the road, to be honest. Um, I, I, I was interested. That was one of the things I wanted to ask you guys. When we went to Bloomington, what was your take on being able to compare a true road game versus a home game? Oh, I, I'll let Bob speak. Yeah, I'll let Bob speak to this because he's actually played in Assembly Hall. He knows the feeling, but it, it to me, felt the same. I, to me, there was no home court advantage, just as I feel there's no home court advantage for Purdue, quite frankly. I, that's just me speaking, Bob. Again, you you played in, in Assembly Hall. You've obviously played in Mackey Arena, but I, I didn't feel like there was any, any type of a home court advantage for Indiana. But, again, I don't, I don't feel like our Boilermakers have had a home court advantage this year either. No, I'm with you. I mean, outside of having a familiar shooting background, which is certainly has value, um, I would think, for, for guys. Outside of that, like, we've been to both Illinois and Indiana. Those have been the two Big Ten road games we've been to. And, yeah, neither one of those environments felt like hostile environments or anything of that nature. I mean, we ran out – our team ran out in Bloomington to just crickets. Right. Like, there wasn't right. a single boo, and it was one of the weirdest – I did miss like, that. I did miss that, to be wow. honest. I said something to uh, to Coach Shrewsbury who's standing next to me. I go, hey, I, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't miss getting booed right now when they introduce us. <laughs> no question. I mean, as a player, like, one of, probably the coolest thing is if you make a big shot and get your home team, you know, pumped up and the crowd's going crazy. But the second coolest thing – as a player is when you silence an, an opposing crowd, like in right. a big moment and you hit a shot or something or you make a big play and, and the opposing crowd is just silent as your bench goes crazy. Like 
that's probably the second coolest thing in college sports. And so I, I definitely feel for these guys not being able to kind of have those two different types of moments that are really exciting and really fun. But well, yeah, I'm not feeling a whole lot of home court advantage either way. Yeah, I would agree. And I would add, I think early on um, when we started playing some non-conference games, so when we were playing uh, the Oaklands and the Indiana States and the Valparaisos, I was um, really nervous because I felt like those teams were really excited to play Purdue. And our guys, normally if they came out, if you come out a little bit flat, you've got 14,000 people to pick you up. And yes. and in those games, and, and the rest of the Big Ten games, they're not there to pick you up. And so now you're relying on the 30 people sitting in the bench area. And that was, that's been a point of emphasis from the coaches is to get our guys energy level high, um, to yell maybe more than you've yelled in the past and to just get some, some energy going on that bench. And I think it's in some ways it's harder at home because you, you have the complacency sets in a little bit. You're like, eh, we've yes. done this now six or seven times and this is just what it is. Whereas when you go on the road, it's a new locker room, it's a new surrounding, it's a new feel. And I think it's far easier to get your guys up for the road games than it is uh, than it is to play at home. We were so worried during the Penn State game because we thought, man, they're going to be – this is their first game back. They're going to be excited to play. Penn State is far better than anybody realizes. They have they have some players, man. I mean, they're guards. shot makers on that game. Yeah, yeah, guards are really good. They got athletes. And we were really, really nervous about our guys not taking them as serious as they needed to. And our guys' credit, they responded and didn't shoot it well, but found a way to get that win. But that's a case in point where you have to try to bring and manufacture energy in your home venue. And I, I'll uh, I got to give some credit to my broadcast partner here because Bob mentioned this in the game Friday against Michigan in the second half when we made a couple runs there, Elliot, and, and got close. You know, mm -hmm. close being whatever it was, eight, seven points. Bob said a couple times on the air, this is a game where you really needed that Mackey Arena home crowd. Absolutely. They, right? They might have gotten you over the hump. You'll know, there's no way of knowing, but it, it certainly would not have hurt had right. they gotten going and, and gave, given the team a little extra juice, which, which obviously was not a, was not something that could happen Friday. And that, but Bob kept mentioning that on the broadcast. Yeah. You need that stop. You need that, you know, you, you get a big basket and you get that explosion. It gives you that much more energy than on the defensive end. No question about that. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's been difficult. And I, I'll tell you, we've had conversations with our, um, with our walk-ons and the guys that maybe don't get in the game about, Hey, like you're just as important tonight as anybody else. Cause you're back here with our support staff and everybody, you know, yelling and screaming and trying to get our guys um, that little bit of extra energy when they need it. And, uh, and our guys have been great with that. You know, they've been really good about whether it's communicating in huddles or just uh, talking from the sideline to get those guys a little bit more energy. And, you know, I, I, I can remember a few times when we needed a stop or we needed a big play, you know, a couple of the starters, the guys out on the floor looking over to the bench, kind of clapping like, let's go, you know, let's go get us going here. So it's a subtle thing that happens in these games now. And you may not, you know, you guys have been fortunate enough to be in the building. Um, if you're just watching it at home, you may not realize that that's kind of another area that goes on during a game that's really important. Yeah, I suppose one thing that I was just thinking of how you were talking about that as far as like the team having to be so influential as far as getting guys up. And, you know, the nice thing for Purdue is, at least on paper, you know, the, the entire roster is going to be back 
next season. And I, I don't, you can talk, you can speak on this Elliot, but this season's probably brought the guys closer together. I would think um, just because they're always having to be around each other and there's no, there's much less outside influences. And I'm sure this season has brought the, the team and the staff and everybody even closer together. And so that could be something that next year, if we hopefully get back to a, a real real world season, then you know the the continuity and the, the tightness of the group that could really benefit them even next season as well. Yeah, I agree. Going through something like this together definitely brings everybody a little bit closer. I would say the one thing we miss is we don't have any team meals together when we're on the road in the hotels. We're we're boxing everything mm-hmm. up and taking it to our rooms, and that that sucks. Like that's that's usually right. some of the most you know, Bob and, and Rob. You know, you're at those meals with us on the road. That's some of the fun times is when you're kind of breaking bread together and, and sitting around and cutting up and laughing and, you know, having a good time. Um, we miss those. We miss, we miss those quite a bit. Um, but in terms of just going through this, yeah, it's it, it has, I think, brought some guys um, close together. And um, I think we will all appreciate it a lot more when we get back to normal next year and are able to travel and not have to wear – a mask the whole time and not have to, you know, socially distance in film sessions and, and we will be able to eat together. That'll be, that'll be very welcome um, for everybody involved for sure. And, you know, you, you talked about the youth of this team. Um, I want to mention it before I ask you guys a question about two specific games. Four freshmen now on this team have been named Big Ten Freshman of the Week, which is a record. Um, and they've, they've only six different players have gotten it this year. Um, Miller and, and Dickinson. Dickinson from Michigan and Miller from Illinois, the other two freshmen in our league. But four of the six um, freshmen who have been named that uh, have earned that award this year have come from Purdue. And it's uh, it really speaks to the talent and the youth on this team and some, some really, really bright days ahead. But the question I have for you guys, I heard the Michigan State call when Travion hit the shot. We They did a great thing about that on social media. And Taylor Smith, our talented videographer, put that out I did not hear yet the Ohio State call talk us through that we get the ball there was a long time out to see who got the ball we get the ball and then what were you guys talking about and how did that call go down well um we and by the way to our defense this is what we've been doing all season as a team so we just anticipated the ball was going to be thrown into trading on Williams right right <laughs> yeah, we, yeah 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 I think we spent most most of the time out talking about how can we get the ball into Trayvon's hand, which, of course, he never touched it. Um, but, uh, the, uh, yeah, so the Jaden Ivey, obviously, was a step back three. None of us saw it coming, so uh, I'm, hopeful, I, I'm hopeful my call was, uh, was genuine, was genuine and surprised because I was surprised as anyone, especially after we found out after the fact Coach Painter told us it was supposed to be a play where Jaden was supposed to drive the ball to the basket and wasn't able right. to do it. So right. uh, that adds another complex there. But I will say this, Bob and, all, and I also spent an awful lot of time in that timeout talking about how big Aaron Wheeler had been for us over that stretch. Huge. Um, yeah. You know, he, he had the block shot, obviously, of Orange on the three. But if you remember the prior possession, um, uh, he had some really great one-on-one post defense that yep. forced a bad shot for Ohio State. Right. It was a shot clock. Viol- I think he forced a shot clock violation almost. I, I think, think that's was. right. So he had. Yeah. I mean, he had back-to-back huge defensive efforts uh, on back-to-back plays, and then of course he gets the rebound at the end of the, end of the game. But 
Um, but th- that was really something we talked an awful lot about was Aaron's defensive ability and, and his prowess those last two possessions defensively because if it's not for those two plays by him, you know, we're never in that position to make that shot to begin with. Well, and he had the big foul um, as Washington was bringing the ball to the floor. Yeah. And Washington had been killing all game. And, He's a stud. Yeah, and, and we thought we were going to end up with a two. And so the thought of fouling on a three never entered the conversation in the huddle. And so when Jaden takes a step back, makes the three, now all of a sudden the ball's thrown in. And that's one of the benefits of not having a crowd sure, is that sure. now Coach Painter right away was like, you know, Eric foul. Well, Eric got screened and wasn't even anywhere near the ball handler because he got, he got screened pretty hard. And Aaron had, this, had the presence of mind. And Aaron's man is the one who came up and set the screen. He had the presence of mind and then, you know, step a few uh, feet forward and foul Washington. So he couldn't get a even get a look at a three. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. That's that's one of those things that if the crowd was there, I'm not sure Aaron hears him to foul, and maybe Washington gets a shot off to try to tie the thing. So and it's interesting you say that because we were that was something we were debating. We were after the game and like the post game recap was was that something that you guys had said in the huddle or was that just something that Aaron heard? You know, the, the bench yelling after the shot went in and it sounds like like you said it was after the shot went in and yeah there's no way if there's a crowd right Craig, it would have been a it was a silencer the shot certainly was a silencer but uh i don't know if aaron was able to pick that up and in, in that yeah. sort of environment because it still would have been some you know noise in there but uh i know yeah we like we were as the play was unfolding or, or prior to the play we were definitely like okay produce Purdue does so many great things to get you know, Travion Williams, the basketball, it's going to be interesting to see how they do it here. Cause we, right, right. you know, thought he was going to get the touch. And then when Jaden started dribbling at the top of the key, I was like, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, we're in the double bonus coach wants Jaden just to get hit, put yeah. his head down. And I actually think he's been really impressive to me. He obviously is, is very athletic and can get past people and finish at the rim with the best of them. But I thought his decision-making a lot of times this season, when he's drove the basketball to find, um, his teammates has been really impressive too. So I'm thinking, all right, coach wants this guy to put his head down get to the rim, maybe get fouled, find a teammate. And then sure enough, when he steps back, I was just like in awe of what was right. going on and well, to his credit, man. Ooh, well, as you know, there's a finite amount of time in those timeouts. And so the, most of the timeout was spent talking about the play, what we sure. wanted, how to execute it. And then, okay, if the shot goes in, no fouls. We're, we're not <laughs> yeah. fouling. We're going to guard, and we're going to make them shoot a tough two, and then we're going to and do everything you can to get that rebound so they don't get an easy putback to send this game to overtime. And then we're also talking about if he's fouled on the play, which we thought there was a good chance he might be, then we were probably going to call timeout and talk about it and figure out all that right. those different strategies and the what-ifs. Um, we also wanted him to go at the end. Our thought was – this ball's going to get up there with about two seconds left. And at most, we're going to get a chance yeah. for a putback, but they're not even going to get a chance to shoot the ball. So, right. of course, all that goes out the window when you shoot a <laughs> quick step back. And then... Yeah, he did shoot that. Because if that misses, um, and, you know, if they get it, yeah, uh, we were we, interesting. Yeah, we, the next day we discussed that. You know, if that, if that carom's long and they get a leak out, boy, that's a devastating way to lose a game. Um, but, you know. That's all part of basketball. All's well that ends well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, well, guys, thanks for taking time. Um, I think that's a good kind of uh, – I've been interested to get your thoughts for a long time. We don't get to see you guys on the road um, like we used to. We're looking forward to getting back to those days because we have fun with you. Um, 
and uh, I was interested to get your thoughts on us at the halfway point and thought it would be good to kind of get the podcast fired back up. I know we've taken some weeks off. I've heard from several people on social media and a few emails of that I need to get them going again and, and uh, decide to utilize this this uh, break here in the schedule to uh, to get back going. So, um, Bob, this is your first time on the podcast, and I wanted to uh, we wanted to get the final four questions to you. So right. we're going to do those now. And uh, the first question of the final four is, what is your go-to music of choice? Go-to music of choice. I mean, I like, I'm like, uh, you know, some of the people you've had on where I like a bunch of different types of music. I don't think I have just one go-to that I only listen to. Uh, but some of my favorites would be, um, I like country. I like um, top 40 type stuff um hip-hop you know as a as a basketball player you get a lot of hip-hop and stuff in the locker room and so i definitely enjoyed that during my playing days um i can yeah see, i like i can I see really you being like a, all kinds of different music i can see you being a club guy you know the shirt half halfway buttoned up your sh- <laughs> your chest out there on the dance floor <laughs> uh, <laughs> come on uh, Okay. Yeah, I enjoy a good uh, a good clubbing experience. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Question two here on the final four is: What is your favorite book of all time, or maybe a good book you've read recently? Well, I know you're you're a big um, nonfiction reader, correct? Yeah, I I, yeah, I go back and forth a little bit, but yeah, I, I like a lot of history books as well. Yeah, and. I like history stuff too, but I, I've definitely, as far as my reading throughout my life, I've definitely been more of a, I'm kind of one of those nerdy uh, fantasy fiction kind of kind okay. of guys who really enjoyed that. You may actually remember this because my teammates gave me a hard time, but my favorite book or book series is the uh, Harry Potter books. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think I had one of them maybe on our trip to Australia, and the guys were, you know, jabbing me a little bit about that, but it's all right. They didn't um, know that is my my wife is obsessed with the Harry Potter books. My daughter's uh, almost through them. I'm actually, I think I'm on the sixth book. I've just taken a really long break to go, get on get into other things, but it's sitting right there. It's ready. It's probably when I finish the one I'm on now, it'll probably be next up. So that's right. I think I did actually. Now that you say that, I saw where you were starting to get into them, and uh, I was hoping you were going to enjoy them as much as I I do, but. Um, yeah, I like a lot of that, you know, fantasy types, you know, superheroes, all that sort of stuff is at my alley for sure. But, um, yeah. And they are incredible and it's amazing what has been devoted to those in terms of podcasts and chats and groups. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's its own world and rightfully so it's really, really well done. So question three here on the final four, if you could wave a wand and do any other profession starting tomorrow, what would that be? That's a tough one. I know one of the stock answers you've gotten in the past has been professional golfer, which certainly would be amazing. Um, I'm a a big golf guy. I know you love golf as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as one a little bit more random for probably someone like myself, I would think, and I think you've gotten this answer probably in the past too, but like a big time singer or musician um, as far as being able to play in front of crowds and things of that nature would be super cool and would you, know, you be I, a solo act or would you be in a band i think a band would be fun i think a band would be cool to have like as a guy who really probably the thing i miss most about not you know being on the Purdue team anymore and something that i'm looking forward to 
next year when we're hopefully able to get back and traveling with you guys is feeling like you're a part of something kind of, kind of bigger than yourself. And yeah. Right. Yeah. Feeling like you're a part of a, a tight knit community. And I think being a part of a band would certainly feel similar to being part of a team. So I think that would be really cool. Maybe you could, your band, good band, I mean, you could be Bob and the Buckets. <laughs> Unfortunately, the <laughs> musical skill in my life is <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Bob and the Buckets. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to well, be one and done as they get booed off the stage. Hey, you're going to be, you're excited for next year, but I think Rob's probably more excited because now with you being the new guy, all the jokes are going to be directed at you now. Maybe Rob gets off the hook a little bit. Oh, great. <laughs> yes. It, uh, yeah. And I, finally, I spent all those years carrying Cliz's bags. It's time for Riddell to return the favor and carry my bags from the, from the bus to the hotel room. I mean, if you knew how many times Rob had to go out and make a late night wing run for Larry's snack oh, it's midnight snack <laughs> yep. a little friendly hazing for buckets next year all right oh yeah all right final question here on the final four um with bobby riddell uh what is a little known fact that no one or, or very few people know about you hmm well i think certainly some people locally you know may know this as i grew up in in lafayette but I actually repeated eighth grade when I was in middle school to essentially be older for my grade for sports purposes. Um, but I had actually gone to the Catholic school uh, here in town that fellow Boilermaker Drew Ranthrop went to, Lafayette Central Catholic. I had gone to the elementary schools and grade schools all growing up in the Catholic school system from like K through eight. And then my eighth grade year at uh, Central Catholic I it was on the was on playing basketball on the on the A team, but I, I came off the bench and didn't really play a uh, whole lot uh, as, or as much as I would have liked, certainly. And so I made the decision that, you know, I was pretty young for my grade at the time that, you know, if I wanted to be able to play like varsity basketball, I was going to need to be a little older and maybe that would help. So I chose to go to the public school, East Tip Middle School for eighth grade. And again, so repeated eighth grade and went to the public school. And I ended up enjoying that so much that I went to Harrison High School uh, here in town for, for my high school experience. And and as it turns out, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I wouldn't change anything as, as obviously I was able to then walk on the Purdue basketball team and, and the rest is history. So it, it worked out for me. But I don't know if a lot of people realize yeah, that eighth grade year when I was at East Sip, they actually made a rule because uh, there had been a lot of guys. Uh, Christoph Kendrick is, is one that had repeated a grade and then you know played basketball that subsequent season in the same grade well they actually all the principals um around the school and around the town <laughs> voted that i was not able to play eighth grade sports that second year yeah keep the um, riffraff out so i don't know you know i guess it's just it's the riddell rule i suppose you know, I was, <laughs> they were so scared they were so scared of letting me play again that but i actually was the water boy on my eighth grade uh, basketball team at East Tip the wow. year I was there, so the, probably the greatest water boy. And you East were history, you were trying say. you were trying to get the three point record in, in middle school <laughs> and played two years, and they thwarted your plans. That's what happened. Thwarted. Thwarted. <laughs> well, there's the Lou Alcindor rule: no dunking. 
the Larry Bird, Larry Bird rule, you can re-sign with the same team for a max amount of money, and the Bobby Riddell rule, can't play two years in eighth grade. <laughs> they got me on that one. That is a little known fact. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. The uh, most embarrassing part about all of this, Bobby actually had his driver's license in eighth grade and was driving <laughs> to and from school. I, I think I remember that. There's a kid who always he's driving, I thought, and he's smoking a cigarette. I thought, what is he doing <laughs> on his way to school? Unbelievable. Oh, <laughs> well, hey, fellas. Yeah, Elliot. Yeah, yeah. Elliot, if you don't mind, I do want. I, don't, I haven't said this enough publicly, and I do need to say this for the listeners: uh, how much I've enjoyed working with Buckets, and what a what a what a great find he's been for our broadcast team. He, uh, for those who do not know, his background is not in broadcasting. This is all completely brand new to him this year, and uh, so not only is he brand new to broadcasting, but he's had to try to learn on the fly during a, a, a pandemic season. Uh, and he's just been great to work with. He's done an awesome job, and. And from my standpoint and from the broadcast standpoint, we've, we've been awfully pleased to have him. So I, I just want to make sure I said that publicly because he is, he's been a super addition to the broadcast team, and, and it's been awesome, like I said, having him as a part of our crew and hope we have him for a long time. I appreciate that, Rob. That's awesome coming from you, man. Thanks a lot. Well, that's, we, uh, that's great to hear. We can't wait. And I, as we said, we can't wait to get you guys back. I, uh, I do know I talked with uh, Larry last week, and – when they can get you guys, uh, when they can tune in to hear you guys and watch, they do. And uh, he's spoken uh, spoken highly of both of you as well. He's still getting over his Cleveland Browns getting beat in the playoffs. <laughs> but that goes back to the changing expectations. I said, hey, man, you guys are in the playoffs. You won all those games. I said, be happy. Be happy with it. So, And then we're obviously uh, uh, keeping them going uh, at a high level with uh, with our recent play as well. So. Um, want to pass along that update from him. He's doing well and, and uh, catches us whenever he can and catches you guys whenever he can. So that's a good thing. Um, th- all right. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, looking forward to getting back to normal next year. We'll, t- we'll try to do one of these with you guys again uh, at the end of the year, and uh, maybe we'll try to do something in between um, the end of the, reg- the next 10 games and the start of postseason and try to uh, reevaluate where we're at again. Hopefully – uh, it's another successful half of the season, and we're talking about big things in the postseason. But uh, thanks again for taking time today. Yep, thanks, Elliot. Sounds good, Elliot. Thanks for having us. All right, that's episode 72 here on the Boilerball Podcast. I want to thank Rob Blackman and Bobby Riddell for joining us. And until next time, for all the listeners, be curious, be informed, and be well. Mm-hmm.